You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. I've been talking about Compose version 2 for at least a year since its very early beta in 2020. It's easily one of my most anticipated projects and tools in 2021. Now, hopefully you've heard me at some point talking about the new features of Compose V2 and that it's not related to Compose File YAML version 2, which we know have had for years and years. This is a complete rewrite Docker Compose in Golang so it can share libraries with Docker and starts to get a bunch of new benefits that I go through in this talk. It's just me this time breaking down each of the major features as I see it. And since Compose is one of my daily tools when I'm doing stuff in containers, whether that's DevOps work, testing things, running different utilities, or if it's development work where I've got multiple projects open, got a database and I'm just iterating on my code, both of those scenarios are super valuable in Compose. Basically, it's the only way I run containers on my local system, unless I'm just doing a one-off for a quick minute. There are a few tools that I consider indispensable outside of the Docker engine, and this is definitely one of them. I recommend it to all of my consulting clients. In fact, I usually end up training them on it and educating them about all the additional features they may not be using. And it's so critical, I think, to the success and optimization of a developer team workflow that I'm considering making a dedicated course about it. But we'll see about that happening in 2022 or beyond. But at least enjoy this sort of top 10 approach to the new features of Docker Compose V2 in 2021. Hello, I'm Brett, and you're the internet. I have a laundry list of things that are new or better or maybe just sometimes different, and I want you to know about it. So I thought I'd cram it all into one live show and take your questions. So we're going to be focusing the conversation around Compose. This is not going to be a Q&A on all random things. I'm going to try to focus and get this all done in an hour to be respectful of your time so that you can learn everything there is about Compose. Before we get started, I want you to know about the new Compose and its location on GitHub, because it's a new binary. It's different than the old binary. And that is going to get us to our first topic. So first thing you need to know is the new Docker Compose, what I used to call Docker Space Compose, because the only difference between the two when you're typing commands is Docker Dash Compose or Docker Space Compose. The one we've known for the last six years, I think, before it was called Fig way back in 2013. But since it's renamed Compose, it's always been Docker Dash Compose for the command line. And of course, we just call the tool Compose. But when we say Compose, we mean lots of things. We're talking about the binary that you run at the command line. We're talking about the file format in YAML. We're talking about the specification behind that YAML because there are other tools that 
integrate Compose into them, actually quite a few that I didn't know about. And they were trying to be compatible with the Compose YAML file and stuff. What we're talking about in this particular topic is the CLI plugin version, which is now what they're doing. So if you were here just a year ago, even when this was brand spanking new of an idea and a project, and they were starting from scratch in Golang, not Python, which is if you're using the original Docker Compose command line, that's all Python. And if you didn't know it in the background, it's actually using PyInstaller and the way it works, unless you're installing it with pip, is it's a big binary. And then every time you type a Docker Compose command, it would actually unpack that execute Python to do your thing. A couple of the negatives of that is one, it actually would add about a half a second of delay. So automatically now in the new version, Docker space compose, you're getting faster execution on every single command, approximately at least a half a second, if not faster, because there are some other things that we're going to talk about a little bit that make it even faster than the old version. And so they rewrote it from the ground up. And now basically it's installed via a plugin. So Docker plugins have been around a while and they're listed in your .docker directory. So at the root of your profile in your .docker directory, you have stuff, all right? One of those things is the CLI plugins directory. So if we look in there, you will see a list of all your plugins. So I'm using Docker Desktop. I'm on a Mac. So on Mac and Windows, when you're using Docker Desktop, it auto installs this plugin, as well as some others that you can see with Docker Info. And it'll give you the version of those plugins. And the way that plugins work is, well, in Docker Desktop, they're basically in the package that you installed Docker Desktop on your machine, and they're brought in that way but they're technically separate binaries and Docker extends its command line with those plugins. So plugins is not new. That was years ago that they created the plugin idea, but I have plugins that essentially Docker will pull in these other executables and run them transparently. I've, there are actually other ones out there. We're not gonna go into that today, but I've had other shows in the past where we've talked about plugin model and there's other plugins. I actually have created a few in the past. I kind of got away from it because I thought maybe Docker was getting away from plugins because they weren't making any new ones or whatever. But then they came out with Docker Scan for scanning your images. And then they came out with Docker Compose as a plugin. So who knows? They're still doing plugins. So anyway, if I were to download this binary, this has to do with the installation of this. If you are on Linux right now, if you're just on a Linux server or you running Linux desktop, the way you would get it, since you don't yet have Docker desktop, is under the releases. So if we go to the Compose CLI repo, it's a binary often like you do other utilities, right? So you can go in and go to the latest release and download the binary. First step is to remember that this new thing, we're now calling it Docker Compose V2. It's not related to the YAML file format. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Docker Compose V2 or the next gen Compose. That's what they're calling it. So in Docker Desktop 3.4, which just released this week, I can now do Docker Compose version. And I get an independent version of that Docker Compose, which is different if I did Docker dash Compose. Okay, so this is using the old Python-based Compose version. And it's a different version. It's got other things built into it because... It's using the open SSL packaged into it through Python and the Docker space compose, the compose V2 version is using all of the utility of Docker. So it gets its advantages from the Docker, which is also written in Golang. So there's library share and stuff like that. So there's a lot of advantages and reasons for them to do this and rewrite it from scratch. But over at the website, I can now download these new versions as a binary. And then I would move that into 
docker-cli and call it compose. And when I do a Docker Compose version, these older versions were not plugins. They were actually fully functioning command lines. So it may not work. But the point is, that's how you would do it. And, and their documentation on the website will tell you. They recently changed it from it being its own standalone binary that had Docker and everything built in. It was kind of like a special version of Docker command line. They changed it to be just a plugin. But there was a previously a beta 2 that I just could have proved to you that if I put something in that CLI plugins, it overwrites whatever is coming with Docker Desktop. So there's a way for you to now get newer beta versions, put it in that CLI directory, that CLI plugins directory, and you'll be good. All right, so that's enough about the version, right? So we were talking about the CLI version, and it's Golang, and it's a plugin, it goes in that directory. So that way you can get it on Linux, you can use it on ARM, all that stuff. All right, next up, the Compose spec. So Compose spec is now the new version of the YAML file essentially. So if you remember, way back in the day, Compose YAML files in them didn't have a version, but then Docker wanted to create the idea of services. And this is going really back like six years. They wanted to create the idea of services in there. So they changed some things in the format and it wasn't compatible. So what they did was they changed the version statement at the top or required a version statement at the top. So version colon two. And then when they introduced swarm mode, they needed another version because the two didn't have the same compatibility, so they had to compose version three. I and a lot of my courses will tell you to use compose version colon two, like 2.7, I think is the latest, for local stuff and only use the three versions for Swarm because Swarm is really all the stuff that's in the three versions of the YAML file are really only applicable to Swarm in most cases. Anyway, that all got really complicated. So now they've done away with all that. They're back to no version statement. And that now means. It is using the Compose spec. And the Compose spec is a superset of everything from version two, everything from version three, and then some. And we'll talk about some of the new features that we now have that you can't get in version two or three. And all of your Compose files, and this little tidbit, by the way, this works in the old Docker Compose with the dash in it, right? The Docker dash Compose. So Python Compose supports this as well. So for all of you that are using Compose, take your version statement out. You don't need it anymore unless you're using Swarm. So for Docker Space Compose and Docker Dash Compose, they now support the Compose spec. And if you look over at the Docker website in the documentation, they will talk about that. And you will see that these topics describe the Docker Compose implementation of the Compose format. Docker Compose 127, this is the, the older Python Compose, implements the format defined by the Compose specification. Previous Docker Compose versions have support for several Compose file formats, 2, 2x, 3x, and the Compose specification is a unified 2 and 3x file format aggregating properties across these formats. So we can all now dump, as long as you're not using Swarm, we can dump for local Compose use all those version numbers. And the reason I love this is because there were things in version two that never made it to version three, like the depends on statement for health checks, which I love. And a lot of the other things like dealing with CPU and resource um, stuff and all, all sorts of stuff in two that never made it to three. And then, so you had to make a choice. Do I use it with two or do I use it with three? Now, here's the thing is we're not talking about Swarm today, but Swarm has not been updated to use the Compose specification or to use the new Docker Compose command line or anything like that. So Swarm is kind of left the way it was, before, you know, two years ago. You have to use a version 3.something. I think the latest version 3 is 3.8. So 
If you're using Swarm, you will stick with version colon 3.8 as your file format and all the features that come with that, all right? But we're not gonna talk about Swarm today. We're just gonna focus on the Docker Compose command line. So now there's this spec, and what does that really mean? Well, we didn't actually have a specification before where other tools could rely on this specification and how it would work. So what's nice is you can actually go in, and this is now how you would go and learn rather than just reading the documentation, you could dive into each and every feature of the specification and try to use it in your Docker Compose file. Now, a Docker Compose file is one way or one tool of the specification. There are now other tools that will use this specification. You can sort of follow down and you can read about like cloud providers using this, the Compose with a K, that tool, which is a way to convert a Compose YAML file into Kubernetes manifest files. That uses it, NerdCTL, which is a container D tool. We should have a whole show on that one because it's kind of neat. But these other tools are using it. The Docker-Compose and now the Docker-CLI are also ways of using this spec. But nevertheless, it's a really big document. You start to find all the different things like profiles, which we'll get to in a minute. And it describes that part of the specification so that Basically, it's rules for the tools. <laughs> so any tool that wants to implement this stuff, any other new tools that want to implement this specification, they have to do these things in this certain way and adhere to this spec, which is great because that's going to open up a lot of these tools out there that maybe wanted to use Compose, but would essentially have to reverse engineer it or look at the Compose file as the specification, which it really isn't. It's just an implementation of that spec. So no more versions long as you're using the Compose command line tools or anything else that adheres to the spec. Can you use your own plugins with Docker? Absolutely. If you just look up Docker plugins, you will find one of the other captains, Lucas, creates a little utility that actually installs them for you. And it's not, now, it's not, there's not a ton of them. There's only really a small little list here. And a lot of these tools, you can really just get as standalone command line tools, but this integrates them into Docker. So you can go check out those tools. He uses those as an example of how you might, you can actually just write bash scripts th that become the plugin. All right, so next up, service profiles, which I haven't really talked about here. So this is the first time you're gonna hear me talk about service profiles, which is probably my most, most exciting new feature for me, for local compose use. Now granted, we're gonna talk about ways you can use the up command against remote infrastructure, which is also exciting, but for local use, Service Profiles has a really good use case, and that is using the same Compose file, but not always spinning up all the same containers. In fact, using commands with a dash profile in it will allow you to put something in your YAML for each of your occasional services that you maybe need, and then you can spin those up without using a separate compose file. It could all be now in the same compose file. I used to have to make separate compose files. Maybe I would extend or use overwrites where I would have to add them in at the command line, but no more, you can now use service profiles. Now, what I can do, one of my favorite demo apps, the voting app, or sometimes I call it dog versus cat. It has five services. And if I didn't always want the result app when I do a Docker compose up, one of the things I could do, maybe I just want the result app. Maybe I'm the developer of, the voting app, the front end, and there's someone else that's managing the result app in my team, right? But I don't always want the result app up. Now I could do Docker Compose up space and list all the services that I want to come up, like vote, worker, you know, I could manually do that, but then I'd have to do that with every command, right? I would have to make sure that stuff's there. 
And it could get kind of complex, if, especially if you start to get into real world applications and microservices, you'll end up with, you know, half a dozen, two dozen services. And what you can do now is do profile. Now, one thing we'll talk about in a little bit is how the enhanced UI. This UI is a little bit fancier. It's colored. It may have been colored before, actually. I know the logs were colored, but I'm not sure. So if I do a Docker Compose up, it's going to create the networks. And then it's going to create the databases. And we'll talk about, we can talk about things like the depends on feature, which I love talking about. M1 compatibility, yes, these all work on ARM. Like Docker Desktop for one, which is released, that has com Docker Compose built into it. How to get started with Docker, uh, link below for coupons to my courses. So getting started with Docker, I have a, an almost 20 hour course on Docker called Docker Mastery. You can get the coupon for that below. The, the new Docker Compose CLI doesn't seem to support Compose, Ignore, Orphans. Have you encountered this issue? So if you have a concern, what I recommend you do, I don't have the answer to that specific question, but what I recommend you do is I've been filing bug reports and feature requests and all sorts of stuff. They have a team that's working on this full time. So go over to the Docker Compose website. So it's github.com slash docker slash compose CLI. All right. And then go to issues, which there are many and, you know, look for that. All right. So no one's talking about it. So put in a, a request to have that added, state the reasons why you need it and why you use it. Um, because what they're doing is they're getting rid of some of the stuff that nobody uses because there's no reason to redevelop features that they put in five years ago that maybe no one's using anymore. So all the major ones are now there. They used to have a compatibility list because they were slowly building all the old features into the new one, the checklist. And they've been going through adding all the features, but you want to make sure that's added. Not everything from the old one is making it into the new ones. Put your vote in, right? This is open source. They're going to build what we ask for. I think I just saw them actually just close it the other day because they were claiming that everything, all command and flags, but verbose, not applicable, are now supported. So closing. Okay. So Maybe that's not true if they're not supporting your thing. Go check that out, and I recommend filing a ticket. All right, back over to our app. I did an up, and I did not get the result service. The result service is now under a new profile that in order to bring it up, I would need to do a Docker Compose up for profile, result up. Profiles are a way for you to segregate these out. Like You can separate your services now into chunks of them, and if you don't give a service a profile name, then all commands always run for that. So only, and, and let me state that the way I've used this, so you maybe can see a real world use case is when you have, like I said, a big app that you don't want all the parts because that's maybe not what you're focused on, you're developing, or you maybe want one-off things. Maybe you have seeding data where we can maybe have a container or a command that's in its own service that I'm only going to use once to seed data. And so instead of manually typing that command in every time, I would just do a docker compose dash p project. The other case I use it is for seeding data. And I use that more and more now. And in fact, in this particular voting app, I do have a command to seed data. And so I, what I would do is over in my VS code, I would just add a brand new service. And I would probably use, let's say I had the seed data already in this image. I would just make a new service called seed. And then I would use that same one, and then maybe I'd have a new command that I would override, and then the profiles, I would call it seed. And then it would only run this when I specify an up 
or whatever. Now you could always do a run command and type everything out manually, but there's something that's really common, like a setup script that you have that seeds everything, you know, does a rake command in Rails or something like that. I would put that in one of these new services and I would give it its own profile. What if I write a new Docker Compose? Will the new version support both structures, version two? Do you think they are going to cancel the version feature in the future? That's effectively what they've done. So yes, when you take out the version name, the version line, if you take it out, you get to use all the features of two and three, all in a single file, and any new features that are part of the specification that never were in two and three, like profiles. And that's essentially canceling the version. There are no more versions. If you want to use Swarm, you still have to use version three. If you're for some reason using a really old version of Docker Compose, the Python version from over a year ago, then you'd still, you would you can still use version two and three because those old versions don't support the Compose specification. But essentially, the version key and value are gone. There's no reason to put them in as long as you're using Docker Compose command line. Whether it's the Python or the Golang version, they both now support versionless Compose specification. What this means is that it essentially... If the specification has a new feature and then the Docker Compose command line adds that feature of the specification, it works in the file, right? So you don't have to specify a version to suddenly enable that feature, which they never really were fans of it. There was reasons back in the day, but a lot of people at Docker didn't think that was great. So they got rid of it. And I agree. Like keeping up with which version and all the new stuff is what's in each version and which version I need for the particular feature was problematic. Based on the version two, I'm trying to understand if I can reach close to the swarm or not. We're talking about Docker Compose the command line mostly. Docker Compose the command line does not do anything with swarm. It doesn't talk to swarm, it doesn't deploy to swarm. If you want to use swarm, you have to use Docker service commands or Docker stack commands. And those use only the version three of the compose file, right? All right, next up, Compose ls, a whole new command, wasn't there before. Compose ls will show me different projects across my whole system. Now you can also see this in the new Docker GUI. If you're into GUIs, Docker keeps making their GUI better. This is actually listing all of my containers as well as recognizing compose files. It sees that I'm running five containers inside of Compose. So I can click to open it right up in Visual Studio Code. I can stop it. I can start it. I can look at the logs of individual containers. I can get a exec a shell right into that container. And I don't know if you've played around with the GUI, but it keeps getting better every release. In fact, just this week, they released this new feature where you can now see volumes and do things with those volumes, like delete them all here in the UI. And then they had this great new thing that they launched at DockerCon, but they've been playing with it all year. It's called Dev Environments which we won't get into today. We'll have, a, I'll have another video at some point about dev environments. But so basically it's a, a way for you to share your code and your containers and everything all across Docker Hub with a one-click URL without having to like push your containers to a registry manually or put your code in GitHub and change the branch. Like you don't have to do any of that. Uh, this is basically an easy way to share your environment with other people, all right? It's meant for like coworkers who want to share something they're working on, but they don't necessarily want to commit it to get in a certain branch and then push that branch. They want to just a quicker way to do it. So the LS command didn't exist. So in order to see what was running, you would have to go to the directories where you ran them 
And sometimes it took a little bit of time because I would do a Docker PS and I would see a bunch of stuff running, right? And I wouldn't know where that stuff was coming from. So then I couldn't remember which directory I was in to start those things. Well, no more. It would be nice if it was showing me the file path because I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to tell where these things are from. I guess, you know, because it defaults the name of a project. In case you didn't know this, Docker's Compose has always done this. The name of a project is always the name of the directory by default, but you can override it with something that I was messing with Docker while ago, which is Docker Compose dash P. All right. So if you look at the help, there's this option, dash P is for project name. So you could always override that. You can override it with an environment variable as well. But by, by default, it will use the same directory you're in. So if I want to spin up two copies of the same stuff in this directory, that's kind of what I've done here. This new one, I just typed in Docker Compose in the same directory. And instead of typing Docker Compose up, I typed in P new up and it launched a whole separate set of these services. Now, you'll have a problem doing this if you do a couple of things wrong. If you put in container name inside of your YAML, which I don't recommend you ever do, because the reason that people put the container name value in their compose file is usually because they want to use Docker commands and the easy naming of the container is helpful for Docker commands. I would argue that I bet everything you do in Docker, you could use with Docker Compose and it's probably better and easier. So it's very rare that a developer ever needs to use a direct Docker command without Compose in it because Compose is designed to do the things like logs, exec, run, start, stop, restart, down, up. Like it has all those things. So you can pause, unpause, it's just push, pull. You can do all that stuff from the Compose itself, which is more friendly for developer workflows than the Docker command itself. So I would argue, don't ever do that. Don't ever manually name your containers in the YAML file. The second thing they'll run into is if you're trying to assign ports. So my compose file, what I do is I don't specify the port of my host machine. I, when I publish this port, I'm letting it auto assign. That's what I do when I just list the port that the container is listening on inside the container network. It will now dynamically create the port. So when I do a Docker compose PS, I will see what ports it assigned them. So it's assigning high ports and so that way, if I spin up multiple versions, they're different ports, right? So that allows me to run the same thing twice. And there might be reasons for doing that. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll check out applications and different, different clones of that same app. I'll have them in different directories. And then I will change the branch or the commit that I'm on each one. So I can kind of test between two versions of something. And if you hard code the ports on your host machine, then you can't run two copies because you can only run one container on an external port. So I tend to not do that. And then... I can get the random value here. All right, so that's LS. Now let's talk about BuildKit. Uh, so no need for Swarm anymore, at least for local development. Can it still be deployed to Swarm after? Good question. I never recommend Swarm for local development. I don't see any advantages to it for local development. The Compose command line is absolutely designed for the developer workflow. Swarm is not, right? Swarm is like Kubernetes. It's designed for running services in production with automatic replacement when they fail. But, you know, there's no swarm command, for example, to combine all the logs, like you can just do Docker compose logs here and you see all the logs from all the services and they're all nicely colored and everything. You don't get that in swarm. I could go on and on. There's lots of reasons why for local development, you always want to use compose. It's also using slightly less resources because there's stuff that Docker's doing in the background for swarm that it doesn't need to do in compose, right? In the background, really all compose is doing is it's just converting what you're doing into the real Docker command to do that thing. So your other part of your question was, do, can it still be deployed to Swarm after? 
So remember my rule, you can't do this. First of all, we're talking about two different things, the YAML file format and the command line. The Docker Compose command line has never done anything with Swarm. It's just local. It's whatever engine you're running, it is talking to that engine, whether that engine is local or remote, but it's not ever doing Swarm things, right? Now the YAML file, Swarm does use the version three of the YAML file. It does not adhere to the new Compose specification yet. It only adheres to version three. Hopefully that helps. Does the network is common to all Docker Compose under the same profile? It depends on your setup in the YAML file. If your YAML file specifies whatever networks, then in that same project, so in the project, it names all the networks with the project name, right? And so it will create those networks and they will all adhere to the standard of the Compose file for network creation and all that. If you don't put any network stuff in here at all, that's totally fine. It creates a default network and assigns all containers to that default network, which Compose has always done that, right? So that's not, there's nothing changed there. But yes, the answer to your question is yes. They're, and they're all in the same networks. Builds with BuildKit. So with BuildKit, I'm in my example voting app, which is up on my GitHub, github.com slash Brett Fisher slash example voting app. All right, so this example voting app has the standard Docker Compose file. This Compose file has volumes and build commands, right? And if I do a Docker Compose build, it's gonna automatically use BuildKit by default. The nice thing is you get the BuildKit output and you get the advantages of BuildKit and it does all sorts of things that are parallel. So it's gonna be building faster. It's better parallel building and, and of different layers. If you're using multi-stage Docker files, it will skip stages it doesn't need. That it, because it's intelligent, unlike the old builder that would always build every stage regardless. And yeah, lots of other stuff in there that's an enhancement. A common question I get from people, by the way, if you're using BuildKit, is they want to see all the output because until it gets an error, BuildKit tends to uh, do a little magic, a little bit of magic in the CLI. If you just want it to output, maybe you're in, you're in your CI solution. So when you do the build, you can do progress plane. And this is a build kit option. It also works in other, in Docker build commands as well, not just Docker compose build. But that will make it normal text output and be verbose about all that. And it's better for logging and if you're in a CI solution. So anyway, pro tip there. Build kit's enabled by default. That's another advantage. Compose copy. So if I do Docker compose CP, this command did not exist before. You couldn't copy files in and out through Compose. You could with Docker CP, but then you would have to know the name of the container and all that. Because that command was missing and people were asking for it in the GitHub repo, people were asking for it, so they added it. I'm not sure if Docker added it, there might've been an open source contribution, but now you can copy files back and forth. I'm not gonna demo that, but it works just like Docker. Compose convert. So we had Compose config in the old version, which was a little bit of a way for you to spit out YAML in a and sort of do a validation of the YAML, but now that's all been moved to something called Compose Convert, which does that and more. So if I do a Docker Compose Convert, what it's going to do is it's gonna take my YAML file and it's going to make it, it's going to output some of the defaults and some of the things that are more verbose. So it automatically assigns the name. So that it's basically, I think in the background, what's happening is it's, these are the things that it needs to do on its own before it runs those Docker commands, like figure out the name of the network that it's going to create, figure out the name of the actual volume it's going to create, stuff like that. So you get an interesting stuff like the bind mounts and whatnot that's going to use the full file paths. So you get this output. Now, that's neat, but if you just do convert-q for quiet, 
what it'll do there is it's a validation. So this is something that you want to put in for linting, maybe in your CI, and you would just do compose convert dash Q, and it would present an error if you had something wrong with your YAML. Something else you can do is you can have it list things inside the compose file uh, quickly and easily. So if I just want to see what volumes are here, I can do a dash dash volumes. Same for services. If I wanted to list all services, I can do dash dash services. So this is just sort of it going through the YAML, finding the things that you're asking for and spitting them out the command line. Anyway, there's some other stuff there, but go check out that new convert command. I missed the first part where there was a web page that lists what's new in Docker Compose V2. I couldn't find it easily. There's not really a web page. That's why I'm having this video. <laughs> there, there is the repo and you can read about stuff there, but it's not going to necessarily go through everything that's new since this project started. You can go through each release, which is kind of what I do. You can go through each release and see the change log. And if there's a new feature in that version, they will list it. So for example, they just recently added the, the CP command. So that was a new feature. And yeah, so that's you could scroll back in time all the way to last year, or you could just watch this video. I get most of the things. Now, what's up next? So these I demoed last year. There's Compose to up to ECS, and then there's Compose up to ACI. So these are the two drivers or plugins. I'm not sure there's probably a, right, a better term for it that they're using that I don't know yet, haven't memorized. But these are ways to deploy instead of to a Docker engine to some other API that's not Docker. To remind you, Docker has context, Docker context list. And I had this tiny little list of four different endpoints and they no longer are only Docker engines. So Docker, the context was created so you could just like with a cube control config context, you can point your local Docker command line to not just your local engine, but remote Docker engines over SSH or the API directly over TCP. All right, so you can do that. So I can change these with a Docker context command. Compose now adheres to that context command. Now they have these new types. And ACI, which is Azure Container Instances, I believe is the name of that, is a type. And if you log in, you have to do a Docker login ACI, and you have to go through this process. But once you've got logged in and authenticated, you can now create this profile. I created the profile name of dog versus cat. Docker context use dogs versus cat. So that will change to use my ACI Azure. So now I'm pointing it at Azure. Here's the thing though, it's not talking to Docker directly. It's talking to the APIs in Azure's cloud and using Azure's ACI service. And now when I do a Docker compose up, it will spin up that compose file with ACI, nothing to do with my local Docker engine. In fact, I could never, I could not have a, lo a local engine installed. I just have the Docker Compose command line, which is a plugin now for Docker. So just those two binaries on my machine. And as long as I've authenticated to ACI through Docker login Azure, if you just do that, it'll go through the process of logging you into Azure. So if you do that, now you can deploy to the cloud. So here's the thing. Here's my little soapbox. People talk about the future of Swarm and I'm, you know, I'm a diehard Swarm fan and it's, Eventually, we just got, by the way, an update this week that it is getting storage enhancements like Kubernetes. The CSI is still being worked on daily. Drew is the lead developer, and he is working hard on that. And you can see the commits if you go and you dig in the repos and GitHub. But that's coming to Swarm someday. Maybe this year, maybe not. But Swarm was Docker's old way of thinking. 
it's not so much that they gave up and decided that Compose or Kubernetes is the winner. I would argue that maybe that some of that's true, but what I think happened is that they started to realize that they're not an orchestration company. They were a developer tooling company. So they, when they sold off all their assets a year and a half ago, the, what was left was a core team of people, less than 100 people, and they're focusing on developer tooling. Developers don't want to manage servers, right? I'm an ops person, so my job is largely to manage servers and infrastructure, but I'm getting out of that too. I'm trying to avoid having the SSH in the servers. I don't want to have to manage servers because we're all having to do more with less. And I would rather just manage API access with command line tooling. And that's what the new Docker is doing. So Docker now approaches this of don't deploy to a Docker engine that you manually installed on a server and then opened it up to the internet. That's the old thinking. The new thinking is if you're going to use the cloud APIs that they already provide and Azure, and now you can use the best of Azure, the best of AWS, and maybe eventually DigitalOcean, instead of thinking of you talking to a server directly, let's deploy to what that cloud's version of container hosting is like. So in this case, it would do a Docker Compose up and it would bring up in Azure, my containers, just like it does locally. It would give me an endpoint, you know, a URL that I would go use to get to that server. So it's creating the server and it's installing the containers. And I don't even know whether it's actually using Docker. That's not actually the point. What I'm using is Azure's ACI, whatever that means. There's another one, you can use ECS with AWS. So I could log into AWS and now they have a driver and a context for ECS, which is technically in the background using Docker, but it's their own orchestrator. Again, this isn't about Swarm or other orchestrators. It's more about what is that cloud's opinion on how to run containers and can Docker interface with that cloud's APIs? So what we should start to expect is maybe someday there'll be uh, EKS version or a Fargate version, or you know maybe there's DigitalOcean apps, which is a new thing from DigitalOcean. So there's all sorts of ways of running containers now on the internet. Heroku can run containers now. And what we're hoping is that Docker will make more of these, or they'll at least allow vendors to add these in or help with these so that we can now not just deploy to Docker Engine, but also now ACI with Azure and then ECS with AWS. All right. And it will have some of the features, maybe not all, but some of the features of that platform. Now, if you're more, if you're interested more in this, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but the documentation is great. If you just search Docker Compose ACI, you will find Docker's documentation on the features, the integration, how it works, a walkthrough. You'll also find Microsoft's documentation because it's their cloud and they want to use Docker Compose. So you can now read all their documentation and tutorials. So all that stuff's out there. The same goes for ECS. You're going to get that same documentation for deploying to ECS. We don't know from Docker what their next driver is going to be, if that's the right word, but more are probably coming. So that's my soapbox moment there is that one of the reasons they're not focusing on Swarm anymore is because they're not trying to be a server operations and orchestration company, which is more ops, right? Not so much dev. And devs like to deploy to whatever they already have in the cloud. And that's why these integrations are really interesting to me, I think. Well, I haven't quite seen teams take this and run with it as production stuff, but the next one might be the one. So the final big thing I'm gonna talk about today is Docker Compose up for Kubernetes. So imagine just being able to specify that Docker context, which already covers Kubernetes endpoints. Docker is working on, and we don't know what the release timeline is, but if you go and you custom build this new Compose CLI, 
you can b- get out of the box a way to deploy to Kubernetes from Compose using a Compose file and ignoring manifest or Helm charts or anything, which is, I think, a pretty big deal. So this is what I've been asking for at least a year or two. Everyone else has been asking for it. I don't have it working today, but I imagine it would do exactly what you think. And here's the other cool part is that you can use the Compose other commands to get the results back from Kubernetes so that you don't just do an up and then have to shift over to kube control. You can you will start to be able to see other commands showing up like the PS command and maybe the logs command. And I've been having to dive into the open source. If you look at the open source repo and in the commits and the pull requests, you can see that this stuff is getting worked on, but Docker really hasn't released it yet for beta testing. And I don't have a date on that, but when I do, you're going to know. So I'm very excited about that. And I think that is going to be probably the most used deployment methodology for all these different ways of deploying to the cloud, right? Because Docker could make an EKS, you know, a Google Kubernetes, there's all these different Kubernetes, but if you just get a standard Kubernetes API and you can adhere to that spec, it doesn't really matter where that's running, right? So the one thing this won't do though, is this wouldn't provision, right? If you're just going to deploy to Kubernetes, that Kubernetes has to already exist. So Docker Compose isn't going to be the provisioning tool, but I would argue that for Kubernetes, every hosted Kubernetes out there and every Kubernetes distribution already has the commands to do that. So I'm not sure that Docker needs to replace those or wrap those in any way. I think it's probably safe to say that those tools are fine. We spin up the infrastructure with those tools and then Docker Compose up to Kubernetes is the way you deploy your apps. And there is yet to be seen what exactly of the entire Kubernetes spec will go into the Compose file, but I would expect to see you know, services become deployments, And then if you specify a port, that becomes a service. If you specify an external port, it might automatically use ingress. Obviously, there's volumes there for persistent volume claims and stuff like that. So we're going to have to see how Docker does it. But they're starting to add information if you can dig around, if you want to dig around on their website. All right. Thoughts on automating the whole configuration process of your dedicated servers? It's just more work. I mean, if that's your job and you want to do that, then it's up to you. Every team that I work with, they're They have too much work, not enough people, and they're always dealing with new stuff that they need to deal with. So they usually want to do anything they can to not always save money, although that's always a factor, but to not need to hire more people (laughs) because typically the people are more expensive than the infrastructure. So usually the teams I'm working with, if they have their own infrastructure, they're looking at ways to automate it. Obviously, there's lots of tools out there to do that. But I think that the trend I see is that the more services the cloud creates, and the more features those have, the more people use them because they're doing more with less. There's less people in the team. And so the typical DevOps person I'm working with now, five years ago, they would have needed two or three people to do the job of that one person because the tooling's gotten better and the services on the internet have gotten better and provide more features. So you can definitely administrate a lot more stuff as with one person now than you used to be able to do. And that's largely because of the cloud, but also because of better tooling. I honestly don't think Compose up to Swarm. Just because the... The only thing I see Docker doing in the last year or two is Mirantis is now the ones maintaining SwarmKit. They're the ones putting in the PRs and stuff. And Docker supports them by committing them and putting them in new releases and stuff like that. But there's no one, there's not a single person that I'm aware of at Docker, the company, dedicated to Swarm. And I have not seen a new feature built by an internal employee at Docker for years. 
And the person that did that now works at Mirantis and is working on the storage support for Swarm. We did get, at the beginning of this year, we did get one new feature with Swarm where you can now run jobs. I had to think about it for a second. So there's Docker jobs or Docker, yeah, Docker service type job, I think. It's Docker service create dash type equals jobs, I think, or mode. I can't remember. But yeah, so a one-off run, one-run job. Not a cron job because they didn't add that yet, but just the jobs. Anyway, that's the only thing that's created in Swarm. So I don't see the Docker team investing more into the tooling to add new features but you know this is open source so someone out there could add this feature to use docker compose up with the compose file to swarm it's possible but it would have to create services not docker and you know that's a lot of work because none of that code is in there yet so we can hope we can hope but i don't think it's realistic oh why does it say swarm in my context because that there's a little feature that's been around for years the default orchestrator. So it's always been there and you can change in your Docker config. When you do a Docker stack, you can actually change it. This is an old thing. It's an old way that you used to be able to deploy to Kubernetes from a Docker stack command, but Docker doesn't support that anymore. It, it, it was a very old idea. It was, it's basically a Kubernetes add-on. It wasn't even really an operator or a, a, a controller. It was just a container that ran in Kubernetes. And you could actually do Docker stack deploy with a compose file and it would go through translation and actually be deployed to Kubernetes. So this new feature of deploying to Kubernetes is I think it maybe the third different way that Docker has had to deploy to Kubernetes. The other one was called Docker app. And they've kind of gotten rid of all those things now. And now they're focusing on Compose. So not to distract you, but that thing in there with the swarm is from old days. Is it possible to mount secrets and SSH agent Docker Compose and BuildKit? Yes. It works the same way it always has. You have to, when you're talking about BuildKit, you have to change your Docker file and use the different thing at the top, if you know what I'm talking about. And if you just look up BuildKit SSH, you'll find all that stuff about that. But that's not... I mean, it works with Compose because Compose is just using the BuildKit tool. So it's really a BuildKit feature, not so much a Compose feature. So you could technically do this with the old Compose as well, if you were using BuildKit with the old version of Docker Compose. Is there any recommendation tool for Compose logging? Recommended tool for Compose logging. And I'm not sure, I mean, Docker Compose logs, I'm not sure what else you need than that. Uh, your apps inside the containers, in all containers, regardless of what tool you're using, Kubernetes, Docker, Compose, whatever, they should always be logging to standard out and standard error. That's just, that is the 12-factor way that we've all been using for a decade, or at least that's been the standard for a decade sort of in the cloud-native space, and containers adopted that. So if that's what you're asking, yeah, standard out, standard error. No, you don't need any special libraries like you used to have to, where you would dump it, create a bunch of different logging directories and all that. You don't need that anymore. All right. Did you have any videos on multi-platform builds? That's a great question. I don't. If you go back in my live streams and look, there's some ones that talk about Apple M1 and I do go a little bit into it. I don't have a multi-platform part of the course. If you took my Docker for Node.js course, that course has some stuff in it about using Node multi-platform and how easy it is. So there are some lessons in there and I talk a little bit about BuildKit, but what really needs to probably happen is just a dedicated small course that goes through a bunch of examples of multi-platform building. What you've seen people do in the past is they have different Docker files for each architecture, and then they build a different named image for each architecture. And that's kind of the old way of doing it. 
now what you do is you make one Docker file that builds for all platforms, but sometimes your Docker files won't even have to change. And then when you're building, you use the Docker build X command. So just go look up Docker build X and that build X command uses the new build kit builder. And you can specify a platform command there that you can do something so easy like Docker build X build platform. So I could build this on three platforms all at the same time. And then if I actually put in there push, it would automatically push all three of those images to the same repo and would use a, a manifest file. But essentially it would mean that when you ran that container on all the different types of platforms, they would all just run. It would automatically work. There wouldn't be a separate image name or whatever. So just look up Docker build X build or platform build. And I think that's all in the docs. Docker has done a lot of stuff in the docs. So yeah, building multi-platform. So they've got stuff all over their website about multi-platform. Definitely go check out that stuff until I get a major enhancement to my courses, which will happen eventually. Great question. Can you do compose to build X cross-platform? Yeah, when you do, it's automatically gonna work. So you can specify the platform, but I don't know that this is for building, but you can specify the platform that you want to run of a specific image. And this is a great example of if you're on an Apple M1, there is no MySQL image. So if you went in your compose file, you could actually hard code the platform that it needs to pull that image for. So it would run it in emulation on an M1. So this actually fixes a problem with MySQL in my courses actually, where people will need to do this if they're on an M1 so that it knows to try to pull that image instead when you're using Compose. When you're doing a Docker standard pull command, you can do Docker pull dash platform and manually override Docker and pull any platform's image. And if you have QEMU installed, which Docker desktop comes with it, it will automatically emulate that platform on whatever you're running on. But if you go back in my, my YouTube video archives throughout this whole year, I've been talking about Apple M1 and a lot of that, I go into details about QEMU, multi-platform, stuff like that. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining. Uh, thanks to my patrons for keeping this show alive and giving me a little bit of coin for my coffee and tea habit. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>